podcast. Today we sit down with Gage Corlett of Sharp Knife Shop in Hamilton. Um, Gage is a really lovely dude. If you are a chef or a cook in Niagara, Hamilton, or even up near Toronto, you probably have heard of him or visited his shop. Uh, It's a bit like being a kid in a candy store. It's a beautiful selection of Japanese knives, uh, as well as some pretty cool kind of obscure chef gadgets. Um, Really, really great place. Every time you go, he has a really interesting selection. Uh, But he actually has a a fantastic uh, background in restaurants, has worked at some pretty special places. Um, So it was really cool to get to know him a little bit better. On to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Um, so we'll just get right into it. Um, cool. Tell everybody who you are, where you're from, what you do. Okay, cool. So uh, my name is Gage Corlett. Uh, I am originally from, I guess I would say, Toronto. Um, moved out to Hamilton about three years ago, four, almost coming up on four years ago now, uh, to help open a restaurant with a buddy of mine named Harrison. Um, and the restaurant was called Neat. Um, I moved out here with the intention of staying for about a year, um, helping him do his thing for a year. And then um, I was kind of traveling around the world at that point um, and had every intention of uh, continuing to travel. And then when I moved to Hamilton, I just uh, like totally fell in love with the city and um, wanted to stay, but was kind of tired of being in the kitchen. Yep. So I kind of started looking or thinking about other things I could do. Um, you know, I took uh i didn't take culinary arts in school but i took like a food related program um so i didn't really have any experience outside of the industry um so i kind of thought about it and i've always loved knives Uh, i totally fell in love with knives right from the beginning of of uh, my cooking career i started learning a lot about them um uh, about the blacksmiths that make them yeah so i guess i should say i started getting into japanese cutlery a lot um And that kind of struck me as something that I could do here in Hamilton. Um, The food scene here is growing uh, quite rapidly. And and, um, there's, um, you know, like a couple culinary related stores here, but nothing um, kind of supporting the community in a way that I thought uh, made sense. And, you know, I thought about um, the food scene out in St. Catharines and the Niagara region as a whole, and there wasn't really much out there either. So um, I just kind of made sense. Um, so I went for it and opened Sharp Knife Shop in December of 2017. So um, in our, or in our, I used the, the we and our to make myself sound more professional but it's really I do it too it's weird eh yeah it's just 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 me (laughs) yeah like um my wife and I have uh have a pop-up restaurant called Stoke okay cool um and so I think I just got into the habit of doing it yeah with that but I'll be like we're gonna talk to you on the podcast it's obviously (laughs) just one person (laughs) yeah yeah um I don't know why you do it but it just makes you sound more uh professional i guess i don't yeah, know <laughs> either way so um so yeah so in uh, in my third year now um and things have been awesome um d- definitely a little bit of a scare in like march here um sure. but um you know in addition to the in-store stuff that i do i uh 
uh, focused a lot of my time and effort on the website as well. And that's been uh, just chugging along here in, in uh, April. So I, I really have nothing to complain about these days. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so can we dive into a little bit more about just getting the shop, you know, going from concept to actually having, having the shop up and running? Just from my perspective, all I can think is like, uh, the investment that it might have must have taken because Japanese knives are not cheap. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, I, I guess like when I was younger, I wouldn't have called myself a good like a saver or good with money by any means. But I guess what I did have going for me was that uh, I, I, I don't really like buy a lot of stuff. So yeah. as I started making more money, um, it became easier and easier for me to save. So, um, you know, that's how I got myself um out to chicago and living there for a couple years and like and then like traveling around europe and working out there as well um you know i just i was just kind of save without any sort of real focus on it but then when a trip came up i had that money available and um sort of similar thing happened with the shop as well um Living expenses in Hamilton are crazy affordable compared to Toronto. So I was, yep. you know, I was making more because I was working as a chef um, and I was spending less. Also, because like, you know, working in a restaurant, you eat at the restaurant all the time. So I was spending yeah. like no money. Um, and uh, yeah, so I saved up uh, a, quite a bit of money. I mean, for me, I think I started with an investment of like $40,000 or something like that, which is definitely like a, a good a chunk of change, but, mm-hmm. um, in the grand scheme of things, like not a, not a ton of, of startup investment. Um, I will say though that like, I haven't taken much of any money out over these first three years, everything that I've made in terms of profit, you know, with the exception of a, you know, a grand or so a month just to keep me, um, in a, in an apartment, um, yeah. right. Um, and putting food on the table. But I mean, other than that, it's like, it's all gone right back into the business to kind of, uh, help the growth. And, um, but, uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's been a blast. I can't really say, um, anything bad about the experience. Um, you know, every business has its challenges getting started. And I think one of my biggest challenges was definitely the money thing. Like cash flow is always an issue. Um, um, and, and capital of course is always an issue. Um, but I guess my biggest other issue was, uh, suppliers. So, um, being that Japanese knives are, are becoming more and more sought after and the number of blacksmiths in Japan continues to decline, the uh, ability for people to get their hands on these knives and sell them is, uh, is difficult. So I travel to Japan quite frequently um, to, at the beginning, to to like start those relationships and now yep. to continue to like build on them and, um, and nurture them. I, you know, I guess going into business, I didn't realize how personal it was. And, um, and then especially dealing with Eastern countries like Japan, where business is even more like personally, uh, related, like they want to have almost a friendship with you before they, before they do business with you. So, um, yeah, that's been, uh, definitely paid off a lot for me is, is building those relationships with the suppliers and, and of course the blacksmiths themselves. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Japan's kind of traditionally um, kind of notorious for being kind of difficult for uh, outsiders to break into. Did you face those challenges when you were first um, starting in? I think, I think the difficulty comes more from people trying to immigrate there and, like, live in Japan. You have to, you know, like, similar to in Canada, when you come to Canada, you have to pass, like, an English or French language test, and you have to yeah. ha- know a certain amount about the, the history and the culture of Canada. But um, I think that we've had immigration in Canada for so long, and it's immigration itself is part of our culture whereas they're like very japanese right so like Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you want to live there you have to have a proficiency in the japanese language that i would say is far greater than what is required of you to move to canada and and your proficiency with english or french Mm -hmm. um you also have to they just want i just think they want people who are going to assimilate more into japanese culture than what is required of people in canada doing business with them i've found that it's not required but it's definitely uh, uh, doesn't go unnoticed when you make an effort to uh learn a word or like a greeting or something like that like i learned very basic stuff like how to say hello and how to introduce myself and my business. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure I did a terrible job of it, it, it they really appreciate even the slightest bit of effort to learn their language. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that can be said, um, same could be said doing business with anyone that's not like first language English because um, I think a lot of businesses, well, in business in general, um, the world over is is kind of like based in English so Mm -hmm. you as the English speaker definitely um have a a big opportunity to sort of like uh score some brownie points with people if you just make the slightest bit of effort to learn their language or whatever even Mm -hmm. if it's just like hello or you know so it kind of gives it's it's a nice um first impression because I think a lot of people who are not native English speakers are faced with people who have a certain level of arrogance that yeah, oh, everyone but, yeah, understands English. Kind of, yeah, I won't even bother completely. trying. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I know you've done a lot of traveling outside of your trips to Japan. Um, mm-hmm. you worked overseas a little bit. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I started my culinary journey, like right after high school. And I guess like in high school, I was working in food related jobs and then, um, decided that's what I wanted to do and was working at a restaurant in Toronto called origin for a chef named Claudio Aprile, who is now one of the judges on uh, MasterChef Canada, yep. along with, uh, the Oliver, Oliver Bonaccini guy mm-hmm. and, uh, Alvin Lung. Anyways, uh, he at the time owned a restaurant called uh, Colburn Lane as well, which uh, I'm sure some people out there have heard of. It was a uh, pretty um, groundbreaking restaurant, I guess, in in Canada at the time. He he like staged at El Bui and and like um, a bunch of these molecular gastronomy restaurants when they were first uh, coming up, and brought a lot of that um, back to Toronto, which was new at the time. Anyways, uh, he was friends with a guy named Curtis Duffy, who was opening a restaurant called Grace. And, uh, Curtis, uh, came to do a dinner at Colburn Lane when they were first opening Grace. That's how I learned about him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the food that he was putting out was absolutely incredible. Um, it looked so beautiful. I didn't get to 
a chance to taste it, but I can tell you after now having worked at his restaurant, the food is delicious as well. And uh, I knew that I, that's kind of where I wanted to end up was, you know, working at a three-star Michelin restaurant was kind of the dream. So um, I, uh, I saw that as my opportunity to get in and told Chef Aprile that I wanted to go work for Curtis and he was like okay you give me like a year you come in on your days off you stay late you know the whole like spiel or whatever and uh um so I did all that he's uh sent me Curtis's email after a year um stuck to his word which is awesome and then uh uh I got a stage I spent a week in in Chicago and they uh they liked me enough to offer me a position so I moved there in September of like 20 uh, 2013, 2014 or something like that. Um, yeah. And I worked there for two years and, uh, that was amazing. Grace's, uh, was an incredible experience for me. I learned more than I ever imagined, um, I would. And, and in like an insanely short amount of time with, you know, the, the menu changing frequently and, and then me, uh, getting the opportunity to work a bunch of different stations. I, I learned a ton of new techniques and, um, and, and just a sort of like a way of, of working in general. Um, it's not just about the food that you're learning to make. It's about, it's also learning how to work properly, yep. uh, work efficiently, work clean, um, you know, especially at that level and working the kitchen there was an open kitchen. So, um, you know, everything's got to be on point really tight and clean and like, you can't have like schmears all over your jacket and stuff like that. So, um, I learned, uh, definitely learned a lot there. And then, uh, once you work at one three-star Michelin restaurant, uh, not to say you can work wherever you want, uh, but it definitely opens a lot of doors and, um, and gets you in places that you might otherwise have had more trouble getting into. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, I came, uh, my visa ran out. So I had to come back to Canada, uh, again, just kind of like started saving for no particular reason, uh, but knew I kind of wanted to travel again. So, um, saved up a bunch of money and then, uh, you've like sent out like hundred emails to, restaurants in Scandinavia that I wanted to work at mm-hmm. and one of the top ones on my list was a place called Mimo which had three stars um, still does um, in the top 50 on the San Pellegrino list I don't know where they're at now I would imagine probably right around where they were before um, and heard back from them like the next day which was like insane and set up uh, uh, I did a two-month stage there um, but because I had that experience at Grace I got to do a lot they trusted me with a lot more right off the bat than they did the other stagiaires so yep. um, you know you I don't know how many people are um, familiar with like Noma and some of the other bigger restaurants in Scandinavia where I think in Noma you have to pay now to go stage there um, because they'll like put you up in their up they have like a staff apartment or whatever anyways um, and then you end up like picking flowers or something like that for 16 hours a day so um, that definitely happened at Mimo as well like there are guys that spent the majority of their day like picking herbs and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, but uh, luckily enough for me I got to do a, a, a quite a bit more than that so I learned a lot there as well and it was interesting to see the 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 way th- two different three-star Michelin restaurants ran they, it was yep. pretty different right like Grace we had no um, 
there was no stagiaires there or i mean we did like obviously i had a stage there but um far fewer than at mimo uh chef duffy didn't like having uh stagiaires in the kitchen he felt like it slowed uh everything down and and i would kind of agree with that but then of course like if you're trying to hire someone you need to bring them in for a stage whereas right. at uh mimo they really relied on the on the stagiaires. They ran a Russian style service, meaning when they went to a table, there was a like a food runner with a with a plate in their hand per every guest, right? So um, that requires a lot more manpower and um, would be like almost impossible to staff that many people. So they kind of rely on that free labor. Um, so you are a stagiaire, but you're also kind of like a, a food runner essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to see, like, it definitely is um, tough being in a kitchen with, like, 30 people in it, and you've got, like, no space to work or anything, and so that can get frustrating, but with more hands, I guess, more gets done in the long run. I don't know, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, so they both ran, like, they both obviously achieved amazing things, and they did it in different ways, so it was interesting to learn about that, too. So where did you go after MIMO? Was it back home? My, yeah, so then MIMO was back home, and that's when I took the job in Hamilton. So MIMO was, uh, well, shop's almost four years old now. So um, that, that was like five years ago now, I guess. Time flies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever miss uh, the kitchen? Definitely. Yeah, totally. I can, I'd, I, uh, I... I don't know if I would miss like the day-to-day grind of it all. I would sure. love to like go back and, and I've thought a lot about uh, just doing like stages here and there just to get back in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely like a week appeals to me in a restaurant, but I don't know if I could go back to like doing the, the day in day out, mm-hmm. like years of, of working in the kitchen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um I've gotten pretty accustomed to my cushy lifestyle now of like yeah. not working six days a week and working 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess one thing I would say about doing that is it, it, it does make you like, I mean, you get used to a certain level of, of, of um, commitment to your, to your job. Right. And mm-hmm. then when you, if you do ever get out of it and do something else, you'll have that work ethic, um for sure ingrained in you right like working an eight hour day now feels like i didn't even work you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like when you're used to working like 12 hours a day like an eight hour shift especially when i'm not like running around like a madman trying to get my prep done and then and then getting crushed for service and then like cleaning as fast as you can so you can get out at a reasonable hour now it's like you know i sit around and talk to people about knives and then (laughs) <laughs> yeah. when the day's done I lock the door and I go home it's like uh, it's, it's quite a bit easier than it was yeah it's funny eh? I mean I feel the exact same way um I wouldn't trade my experiences coming up through kitchens for anything yeah um literally. but there's so many other things you can do um like one of the biggest reasons I wanted to chat with you is just because um in doing the podcast I've kind of at first, I just wanted to kind of foster a little bit of a sense of community sure. around, like locally among, you know, food entrepreneurs. And then I was like, there's so many different things you can do yeah. that's chef adjacent. Yeah. You that's know, it. I think 
Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, that's a great point. Like, I think a lot of people, when they get into cooking, they think that that's all it is. Like, I'm going to be a cook, and then I'm going to be, like, a chef de partie, and then I'm going to move up to Sioux, and then I'll be, like, a chef de cuisine, and then once I get some experience running a restaurant, I'll open my own restaurant. And that's kind of, like, what I thought the whole, like, career path was. And then, yeah, when you – and then you start to learn – and you see other guys that maybe are at that like sous chef level, chef de cuisine level, and they decide not to like open their own restaurant they, and do something else. It kind of opens mm-hmm. your eyes to all the other stuff. And me, me too. Like I've met a whole bunch of like cool people since opening the shop that are doing their own thing. That's like chef adjacent. I like that term. <laughs> like for instance, this one guy was like a chef for a while and then now works for one of those uh, like um, – giant like food corporations that makes like the hummus that you get at the grocery store yeah and now he's like now he's like a hummus chef he all he does is like test their hummus recipes all day right so yeah. like, there's lots you can do out there um so it's it's always good to just like pop in on like indeed or whatever once in a while and just kind of mm-hmm. see what's going on or starting your own business like there's so much you can do um people are trying to shop locally now more so there's i think there's a lot more support out there for the maybe not so much right now is uh, a little bit tough but for um, sure but, but i think uh, there's a yeah. it's such an easy industry to create content around i mean you've done totally. an amazing job on your social channels oh, just beautiful videos of sharpening knives i mean like they're so um therapeutic to watch yeah um yeah i i had no experience like i didn't even have a smartphone until i opened the business i i would like always of the mind that i never wanted to get addicted to one of these things and now of course i am like 100 percent addicted to my my smartphone can't go more than like 20 seconds uh without checking it now but uh yeah i like i learned a lot from photography like in, in terms of like photography and like um yeah so like how to build your social media presence and all that sort of stuff so um aside from learning about knives i've learned a whole bunch of new stuff doing this which has been a blast it's funny i think that there's a lot of chefs out there who have never spent a ton of time getting familiar with technology because if you go into the kitchen in high school when are you ever going to be sitting down at a laptop or totally? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't have time to be on it. (laughs) Uh, um, But I mean, your, your social presence is amazing. You're, like and you're saying you literally just started when the shop opened like you weren't big into Instagram yeah, and stuff well, like that before I don't know how let me just check here I don't know how far back you can go on the Instagram but like like I didn't start out <laughs> doing what I am now and not to say that what I'm doing now is amazing like um I'm actually gonna bring on someone now to run it for me professionally but um you know it definitely looks a hundred times better now than it did when I first started. Um, so you've been doing it all yourself thus far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I first started, yeah, when I first started, it was just like, you know, I would post here and there, um, and didn't really like focus too much attention on it. And then, uh, when was it last year or the year? No, it must've been, it must've been last year. I I was like, you know, I'm going to really focus on this. I'm going to make sure, um, I post every day. I'm going to like, I started researching like how to use your hashtags more efficiently and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, um, 
yeah, I like really buckled down on it. And then of course, when you're just doing it more, like taking more pictures and stuff like that, it's going to get better. And then the videos really helped a lot. And I guess recognizing things that are working for you is important. So I knew I saw that those videos were helping a lot. So I tried to do a lot of the videos and, um, so yeah. So, and I guess I got, I just kind of got lucky. Like I was at the tail end of like Instagram, uh, being like relatively easy to grow on if you followed a couple simple rules and now yeah. they're like and now it's owned by facebook and they're trying to like monetize it more right so you're gonna have to mm-hmm. pay more to get the reach that you used to get organically yeah. um so now it's like now i'm thinking about getting over on tiktok because it's kind of like tiktok is in that phase now where like you can grow organically really easily and then For eventually sure. as they get more people on their platform, then they're going to want to start to make more money out of it. So you'll have to, I don't know how they're going to like, av- like start advertising on TikTok Cause I don't think there's any ads on there right now, but uh, I'm sure it'll get to a point where like sure. big brands are advertising there. I hear now like LinkedIn is a big one too. So, um, I'm going to start trying to focus more attention on, on, uh, getting some stuff out on LinkedIn, but they're apparently in a similar situation now as well. It's, it's apparently very easy to grow organically there so yeah i mean the for for you i mean the videos you already have locked in so tiktok should be like a no-brainer yeah it's funny i've had some issues on tiktok though because when i post like my knife stuff on there some of them don't uh some of them get uh denied or whatever so oh. i gotta figure fi- and honestly like tiktok's still very very young right now it's all like totally. high school kids so yeah um how many of them are interested in spending uh $300 on a Japanese knife, probably not a ton of them, but sure. But yeah. I mean, that's how Facebook started. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. right. And totally now right. it's everybody's mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So yeah, I don't, I definitely see the importance there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess I, I would say for, for social media, like, um, if you're opening a, a business, it's uh, very important to, to present like a professional, uh, face, um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, definitely something I would encourage people to invest their money into if they're opening a business. Mm -hmm. Did you do a lot of like collaborative sort of efforts when you were first starting out? No, uh, no, that stuff's tough too. Right. Cause like the, the smaller, uh, the smaller, um, like pages or whatever that reach out to you, like, like, I don't know what it's like for you, but I get like at least a message a day, someone asking me for a free knife so that they can like, yeah uh, like uh, like advertise f- for me on their page or whatever and you right. know not to put anyone down but if you have like 500 followers and you're asking for a free knife like there's not a whole lot i can do to to help you out yeah. um i even have a hard time sending free stuff out like i've done it once or twice to people with like hundreds of thousands of followers and even that was tough for me to do because I, I like i don't know it's hard to track that stuff to 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 see the like when you spend money on Facebook or, or Instagram ads, it's like the analytics are there. It's like yeah. hard numbers. You can see what's going on. And then when you give someone a free knife to put on their stories or on their page, yeah. it's like it's very hard to track what's what's happening. Totally. So yeah. I can't believe that that would be someone's play. Like if you want to, <laughs> yeah. if you want to gain someone's followers, surely you buy the knife from the person you would think like wh- how many like that's multiple asks in one ask yeah it's pretty it's uh yeah <laughs> it's interesting 
it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I I, I don't like I, I try not to. It, it used to bug me, and now I just like don't even bother reading them anymore. Um, For sure. So I don't know, just part of uh, part of business, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I yeah, think it was fun. Super interesting. I didn't realize that you had worked at Grace. That's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, people. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, my uh, easy one to throw out there. Yeah. <laughs> press people with, but yeah, I was. Uh, I I. Uh, I guess uh, one thing I would say about that is like I try to remain humble um about that like i was just one cog in a machine there um they continued to uh operate just fine after i left so um Mm -hmm. and i think that's uh another kind of issue that plagues some some cooks as they uh i don't want to say like there's there's definitely like this ego thing in the in the culinary world and like where you worked somehow is supposed to make you a better cook but in my mind um you know, it's what you do in, in the, in the there and then, um, you know, um, just because you worked at a three-star Michelin restaurant doesn't mean that when you go work somewhere else, if you start being lazy and stuff that where you work should mean anything. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yeah. Working at some of those, um, bigger places that are doing things on a, just a completely different level than what most people ever get exposed to that almost make you kind of rethink where you wanted to take your food in the future. My thought is just like, it would, I kind of can't help but think that it would make me think I'm never going to open a restaurant because (laughs) what these people are achieving is not possible within the context of my life. You know what I mean? I I know what you're trying to say. Like Um, people aren't coming to stage, you know, by the hundreds in St. Catharines or Hamilton. Yeah. So how do you, how do you like get it going? Right. Like, it seems like it's kind of perpetual for them. They, they, you know, like they have a three-star Michelin restaurant. So people want to come stage there. And then because people want to come stage there, they're able to like do things at the level that they're doing things. But if Mm. you don't have the people already like, I understand your point. Um, it just seems like it's happening on another planet. Like yeah. I can't relate to it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, Canada, we have some issues just in that, like we don't have the guide here. So what is the point in pushing to a standard that isn't going to do, cause it's about money, right? Like those, yeah. though you push for the three stars because that means you're fully booked for the next, like however far in advance you open your books. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, for instance, uh, um, Oh gosh. Grand Ackett's Alinea, like they open their books three months in advance and like you have to be like on there yep. clicking. It's only starting to happen in Canada now. Like people are starting to get more into like higher end food like that. It's been, you know, in Montreal, they've had that really amazing food scene there for a, a very long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto, I guess is like, Toronto is a weird one like we have the most like the biggest population of people in Canada but I don't think that they're really after the uh like the fine dining as much as it seems like there's that possibility to open a restaurant like that in Montreal and then Mm -hmm. Vancouver is sort of more similar to Montreal I guess in that you know there's some people out there that are willing to spend the money on on food um 
So I guess it's it, like it's kind of changing here, right? Like we're starting to get that incentive to push to that level, and it makes sense because you'll you'll do well if you do, and you mm -hmm. get recognized. But um, um, yeah, it's it's tough, right? Like if you if you're um, if you're pushing for that level and and uh, you're not getting any recognition for it through like the the Michelin Guide or like the San Pellegrino Top 100 and stuff like that, then um, the money you're investing to achieve that standard isn't going to give you the return that you mm -hmm. want, right? Um, so I don't know, but I would also say that while the food is like beautiful, uh, beautifully presented, is often very like adventurous and and creative. Um, it doesn't always hit the mark for everyone. Um, you're going there for an experience. Um, and I would say that like all the food that I tasted at both Mimo and, and Grace were absolutely incredible. Um, I've had incredible meals at, at like mom and pop restaurants and stuff as well. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that, that it, it makes it any better i like you know what it's i mean just it's different. just like it's, it's just different thing. it's like it's like how how do you how do you show your passion for for food and some people um go to the nines and and uh want to create like new creative things all the time and other people just want to like perfect that like family recipe that they've had and who's to say one is better than the other right mm -hmm. yeah what uh what experiences or what um things that you've learned or just things you've been exposed to from your cooking career do you think have served you best um owning an actual oh like so many things i want to i want to write a book about how <laughs> how cooking how cooking taught me to be uh, like a, an efficient business owner because there's so many like um there's so many things that i can uh that i can relate from cooking into like the business world and like um um yeah so a lot of a lot of the experience i got um, in the, in the kitchen has helped me a lot. So just simple, like very straightforward things like ordering, um, mm -hmm. and like forecasting and stuff like that. So, um, if you know, I mean, it's, I definitely have to think a little bit, a little bit more long-term with retail now, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're in a kitchen, you, you know, you know, Friday, Saturday, you're going to be busy. So you spend your whole week getting ready for, for Friday, mm -hmm. Saturday. So then when you come in on Friday, Saturday, it's less about like, frantically trying to get enough prep done it's more about like setting yourself up so mm -hmm. that you're ready to get like run over during service mm -hmm. so um it, it, like i said like very straightforward learning how to order properly and prepare for things and forecast um you know a little bit more um uh what's the word i'm looking for um more like from an organizational standpoint. yeah well yeah so then there's yeah like stuff like that like learning how to organize your stock room and stuff like that like but then on like uh on another level like um like with building a sauce so like um or when you when you start when you start your prep day you always start with the the things that are going to take the most time and you and you um and you know i so, so like delaying of gratification so like you know that i know that you know right now these past three years have been like amazing super fun and i've learned a lot but they've also been super stressful um you know i've i've had like super low days um super high days i'm sure you can attest to that as well um owning your own business is uh, especially at the beginning 
I can say is like a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. Um, it's almost like when an amazing thing happens, you're scared for the next. Yeah, day. yeah, you're like, you're like, okay, <laughs> there's nothing bad's gonna happen next. But uh, but yeah, so what I'm trying to say is like. Um, um, with you, with building a sauce, for instance, it takes like three, four days sometimes if to make like a really beautiful demi, right? To to like build your 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 first stock and then fortify it and then and then and then reduce it down um, and then and be skimming it the whole time and like until you finally get this like you started with like. 90 liters of stock and now you have like four liters of this beautiful uh Mm -hmm. demi that's like nice and clear it's got you know what i mean like anyways so i think about that sort of stuff with business too is like um the things that are the are the best take the most time um so you really have to like um be able to sort of see have have some sort of like foresight as to like where you want to go and and understand the steps that you need to take along the way to get there and i think um working at that level of restaurant um really taught me that because you you had to think very um systematically and and uh, like um you know you know i like uh, instead of just having a list for the next day i would have like my whole week planned out of prep and like what i needed to you know what i mean um reverse engineer yeah exactly so like i think i learned i definitely that that's definitely something i've taken from from cooking um and then like we talked about before just like the sheer like work ethic you get so um you know staying focused and working for 12 hours. Um, and then, and then now all I have to do is work for eight hours or whatever, or it just makes it like, if, if you do have to pull like a 12 hour day when you're like, I've done plenty of those with the business now. Um, and that, and that just felt normal, right? Like instead Mm -hmm. of it being like this whole thing or whatever. Yeah. So lots of stuff I, I could, uh, I could talk, I could probably find a whole bunch more, but there's none, no more coming to mind right now. I feel like the biggest one for me is like micro deadlines. I can't yeah. imagine how someone who's like, I have no idea what working in an office or a nine to five or I know nothing but cooking, yeah. <laughs> but I imagine some people have a deadline. Their next deadline is next week or next month. Yeah. Whereas in cooking, you have a million micro deadlines all day long. Yeah. So learning how to, not let that bother you to an extent you know just the thought of having a full chip rail yeah and and being fine with that yeah totally it goes the other way too though because imagine like if you had nothing if you like i know now um you know running your own business you you the deadlines are the deadlines you set for yourself so you you you, like you if you don't have anything to do for next two weeks um um yeah it can be a little bit tough to stay productive and motivated right so Mm -hmm. um like creating those i guess it's just i I like understanding how you work best right um Mm -hmm. i to your point like i i really like those like having everything like planned out and 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 like even to the point like on the bus ride to work i would be like okay when as soon as i get in there i'm gonna yes. like grab all this from the fridge and then i'm gonna go upstairs <laughs> and i'm gonna start this and yeah. i'm gonna start that that then that, that and then by the time like i get all that done i'll be able to like do this and then this will be coming mm-hmm. off and you like play through it in your mind um but uh, i'm always like that i'll be like yeah. laying in bed and thinking yeah. okay so the first thing i'm gonna do is turn on yeah. this. and that and that and that kind of like almost got exhausting to me um which is why i knew it was time to leave the kitchen because 
I we used to get really excited about that and like thinking about what I was going to do the next day. And then it just mm-hmm. kind of got like, I would and got to the end, it got to the point where I was like anxious about stuff mm-hmm. and like thinking mm-hmm. about all the stuff that I had to get done and it just wasn't as exciting anymore. Um, and then opening the business, I got right back into it. I was like the, the, the night before I was like, okay, I'm going to do all this the next day. And like, mm-hmm. and I'd be like super excited about it. And now that's kind of how I feel now. So yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for My taking pleasure. the time to come on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. I hope this uh, this keeps going for you. This is a cool thing you've got uh, happening, and I'm excited that you asked me to be part of it. Um, so, yeah, if there's any uh, opportunity for me to come back on again in the future, I'd, I'd love to come back. For sure. That'd be amazing. Cool. I actually really would love to get into – I'm not uh, proficient enough yet at podcasting, but I'd love to get into um, – like kind of a round table discussion. It'd be cool to have multiple different people all having a chat at some stage. So totally. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. Take care. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye. A lot to unpack there. I think Gage is such a super smart uh, and passionate guy. It's a really cool example of someone who had an amazing career in the kitchen and then was able to take so many different lessons learned. I love his analogy of building a like a demi. It's so smart. Um, and it's so true. There's so many different lessons to be learned and ways of working more efficiently and um, just, just the culture of kitchens that can be really... Um, educational, no matter what career you end up in. Um, I think it's obvious that Gage found something that, you know, kind of scratches his own itch, but obviously is uh, something that was really needed in Hamilton. So really awesome talking to him and uh, comment below, leave a review on what you enjoyed about the podcast today. Have a good one, guys. Mm -hmm.